Hello, and welcome to this edition of Spotlight. I'll be your host, Rogan. If this is your first time checking out Spotlight, this is an offshoot of the Prognotes podcast, where we chat with some incredible artists and musicians in the progressive rock scene. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to all of the Prognotes patrons for helping these episodes happen. Check out what the benefits are of becoming a patron at patreon.com prognotes. Today's special guest is Dan from, uh, is it Wilderun or Wildrun? We pronounce Wilderun, but anything's fair game. All it comes right. from a fantasy book. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, he's here to talk about their new release, uh, Epigone. Uh, welcome, Dan. Uh, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Rowan. Good to see you. There's a lot of people in our Discord that are, like, huge fans, so... Nice. <laughs> That's good to know. Awesome. So, why don't you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name's Dan Mueller. I'm the bassist and uh, synthesizer expert in um, in Wilderun. And we've been a band now for, well, as of next year, it'll be 10 years is our our official 10-year anniversary as a band. Um, oh, nice. Kind of started what out What is that? As, Where are you supposed to get each other? Um, I, I, I think <laughs> loads of disappointment. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Just a bunch of ball busting, probably. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've been... We've been at this now for for close to ten years. Uh, started the project as a uh, as like a symphonic folk metal uh, project, and that just kind of slowly evolved as we all got more involved in the process uh, to some odd form of progressive metal that we now reside in. And uh, mm. signed to Centromedia last year, so things have been going well for us, and we're finally um, finally out on the road again, releasing records. So I'm uh, happy to be where I'm at. Awesome. Uh, just before you, you mentioned that uh, the, the name was from a fantasy series. Yes. Um, I, I want to say it's the, uh, is the elf stones of Shannara or something. Our singer Evan took the, took the name out of, uh, out of one of those books. So it was, uh, the, the, the Wilderun is supposed to be this this land in that um, realm where it's it's kind of like a wild west, which I actually find pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like at first, that that name was taken because like our first record was meant to be the like the Americana version of of the European folk metal style, um, but it has kind of since evolved in a way that that I I, I think still um, makes sense. But it's more like we're now discovering like a. a we're trying to discover the wild west of progressive metal and just see what new things we can come out of there um, with. Mm. So, so it's still fitting, even though we're not a not a uh, nerdy yes. fantasy band anymore. <laughs> now we're just a nerdy frog <laughs> band. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, you, you went one step further. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, getting into questions here. Uh, the. F- first eight minutes or so of this album are like very stripped back with like a lot of acoustic folky guitar and whispery vocals um before it like weaves in and out of a more symphonic death passages in in wool gatherer and finally getting like fully in your face with passenger so did you have a certain like emotional direction you were thinking of when putting the tracks in order 
uh, to like, create this sort of ebb and flow all throughout the album? There's definitely always a very intentional um, ordering of the track listing. Um, it, it's not it's not always written as such, but it, it definitely when we are putting the songs together, um, the order of the track listing is is extremely important because it's what it's those are the beats of the the record as a whole. So if if the songs don't flow together in a way that makes sense. Um, on a grand scheme, then it's, it, it, the, the whole record tends to suffer. There's so many records I've listened to that I love the records, I love all the songs on there, but I'm like, if you just swapped a couple of these uh, tracks around, I feel like it would be even more cohesive and have just this greater compositional arc to it that's more compelling. I feel like that's harder when you get into like progressive music because a lot of times there's like an overarching concept and like a certain song has to go there even if though if it like doesn't quite fit uh you have to kind of think about all those right from the beginning oh definitely i mean i think as we're writing and we're we're putting songs together it's like there's certain songs that as you're writing them you're like this is undeniably an album closer or this is undeniably an album opener and from there, you know, like, whatever else you're going to do that's going to be on this record is going to fit somewhere in between. So so we knew that, like, Exhaler was going to go into Wool Gatherer. Like, that transition was, like, we knew that's how the album's going to open. We're going to open soft, um, and we're going to open soft for longer than we have on previous records. And, um, but the, the end of Exhaler is kind of meant to be this, like, um this waking from a dream you're in this kind of more like blissful acoustic folky passage for a while and then you just like zap you're you're like oh we're in this world now and things are much darker Mm -hmm. than they were so and then that that it that sentiment is what kind of launches you off into the record and and then you explore further from there um, and same thing with with uh, distraction like that that song. I mean, you have something that's like a twenty minute song. It's hard to put anywhere else in the record besides either the beginning or the end. So, how did the the large male choir parts come to be at the end of like Wool Gatherer and several more times throughout the album? Like, it really seems to put the cherry on top of that track before giving the listener like a nice little breath with that acoustic coming back in. Those parts are always some of my favorite on any of our records. Um, and any of the gang vocal stuff, um, since uh, since the last record, um, we figured out a really good technique for kind of expanding the sound when, you know, all that's recorded is like, so you have, you know, the four or five of us in a room um, singing those parts and we'll do like three or four takes of each individual line so it's usually either one or two um, sometimes three um, harmony lines and they'll each be overdubbed three to four times Um, and that sounds good and it it sounds fairly big but it doesn't sound massive and it doesn't sound you know it sounds too much like us Mm -hmm. so what we what we figured out is um, I have this uh, choir library called the uh, St- from Strays Off Sampling called Storm Choir 2 and it's got these nice um, these vowel and consonant kind of Latin-esque yeah, syllables so, and, and what I would do is I would just kind of like 
I would have the MIDI for, for all the melodies and all the, all the harmonies going through that patch. And then I would just kind of best fit those, um, those um, mostly the vowels um, into whatever the lyric was, you know? So if the lyric was like pass, I would find anything that's kind of like kind of uh or ah uh sounding. And then we would just, mm-hmm. we would have it kind of be doing these like nonsense um, Latin phrases underneath, but they kind of somehow match with the with the lyrics that are sung by the recorded gang vocals, and then you just kind of mix mm-hmm. them in so they they fill in the space and they have this nice, big, deep, well recorded sound to them, um, but not so high that you can t- hear them. You know, it's like you still hear us, but you feel yeah. the wow. this this nice um, like sample library bed to it. And so we started doing that on Veil. We experimented with it the first time, and it worked so well that we're like, "It's we're definitely doing this again." Yeah, that's that's cool. Like I've worked with a bunch of like community choirs through my school and stuff, uh, mm. and that's one big thing is like as long as some people in each section have strong consonants to like back it up, then it doesn't really matter as long as like the other people match the vowels. So. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and that's exactly. cool that you can bolster <laughs> that that like live tracked uh, singing with like the technology. And it's the a good samples. way to it's a good way to, to stretch the uh, the limitations of you know only having four or five dudes in a room you know trying to sound like a whole mm-hmm. choir. <laughs> it's, yes. it's something that is like I, I I enjoy I enjoyed finding these little workarounds like that, um, but for the next record I think if if we're gonna do gang vocals i mean we've we've said before like let's let's maybe like budget to actually have um at least at least a reasonably sized choir of trained singers to do it because to get you know Mm. like we can all sing a little bit i mean evan can sing very well and the rest of us you know we kind of we kind of make it happen but it's uh it definitely takes a lot more takes for us to get a nice clean um in tune take every time it's like just hire some trained singers, have them knock it out in an hour and it'll all be done. You know, probably spend less money on that than the hours we spend trying to get it right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So there appears to be a theme among the first four tracks, at least in like their naming sense. So, and they describe like some sort of entities. So there are the exhaler, the wool gatherer, passenger and identifier, uh, is there an overarching story being told between these characters? And if so, why does that shift into the second half of the album? I wouldn't say that it's like a single narrative. It's a, it's not a concept record in the sense that it's like, like you have a, a protagonist and a certain plot line that is being followed. But there, there are, um, as with most of our records, there's kind of overarching themes that are presented and are kind of, ruminated upon in different ways between every song um so i mean in the case of this record um we were kind of exploring a lot of of like very uh, metaphysical territory in the sense that a lot of the songs deal specifically with um the the difficulties of being uh, an artist or or a creative type and and kind of I mean, I think the, the, the title Epigon is a good uh, starting point with which to kind of dissect how we uh, came up with these lyrics or how Evan came up with these lyrics. Um, 
because an epicon an epicon is uh, defined as a uh, a follower or imitator of art or philosophy, um, and I feel like that's a good jumping off point. And then I I always hesitate to to go into too much other detail because I think there's there's so much more. I've I've heard from some of my friends and stuff who have we haven't talked about like the meaning of lyrics and their interpretation of these things are so much more interesting to me than what I could have come up with. So I had mm-hmm. I hesitate <laughs> to to um, put too much of my own spin on things and rob people of their own um, experience d- diving into that. Uh, but that's you know the, the the title of the record is what it is, and one can look it up and and have that uh, guiding light, so to speak. (laughs) Yes. So that goes into a question I had for a little later on. But uh, so what does that album title uh, mean to you uh, specifically? So like it it does have a lot to do with the artistic process, as it said in the the press release. And as you just said, uh, but like it being an imitation of something greater, um, it sounds like the pandemic may have had a large impact on maybe some of these feelings, and I was wondering what you sort of felt about that whole concept. I I'd, I definitely say that's accurate. I mean, I think anyone who's who says that the the pandemic hasn't had at least some impact on their um, on their either their day to day or just their overall minds say is is probably fooling themselves. Um, I mean, we certainly. We're, we're in a position where where Veil was released, you know, we self-released at the end of 2019. Um, then we we shortly thereafter got to play the uh, 70,000 Tons of Metal cruise, playing to, to like, really great, you know, audience, much bigger audiences that, than we've played to before, and then getting signed to Century Media. Things were just starting to really look up for us, and then all of a sudden everything shuts down. All the, the all the great tours and stuff that we had planned that we were looking forward to going to Europe for the first time, all that stuff. You know, the pandemic put the kibosh on that at least for now, um, or for a while. And then uh, we we just were kind of stuck in this position of you know having tasted some some element of um, of the next level of success, you could say, and then trying to figure out like oh well where do we where do we fit into all of that i mean how like we we always have very self-critical view of ourselves and and of everything we do we're constantly questioning it so i think the the um the lyrics of this album deal a lot with that kind of um crushing self-doubt you know and whether anything we're doing has any meaning or integrity or or that any of it matters um so there's this and that's a, that's something that we've always dealt with to some extent but i think has been exacerbated by the uh by the pandemic so let's talk about the album art for a minute because uh, it like really stands out it's it's not like anything I've really seen before. Um, who made it, and what are some of the details you were looking for it to resent, uh, represent for this album? The artwork was done by the great Kim Kiever, uh, based out of New York. Um, he, um, so I came across his work on Instagram. Actually, we were we were getting close to finishing the um, the the end of 
the record or at least the writing process and we're like okay it's it's about time to start thinking about um artwork and just general um visual direction so we were just poking around forever like online just trying to find something new um i think for for every record we've always kind of set ourselves up to to use a new artist every time at least that's kind of been the way we've done things so far just to give give each record its own unique identity and i came across his work and i was i was very struck by it because it was just so like amorphous and so colorful and all, all these kind of things and just very very thought-provoking I, I think one of the things we went into with with the artwork was like we definitely want something that's a bit ambiguous and a little bit more was like abstract than previous records and uh the, the cool thing about his work that when once i looked up more of his processes i realized it was all cloud tank photography so he's he's got like a giant aquarium filled with water and he he drops paint or whatever other materials into there and takes photographs as the paint and everything kind of disperses and creates these clouds then may, maybe edits those photos or not I'm, not I'm not actually quite sure some of them i know he just kind of leaves as is and i was really intrigued by that idea of like putting an like an art medium into into a substance like water or anything and just watching it expand and go wherever it wants mm-hmm. to. So it's this lack of control, which I was like I was like, there's something there's something linking yes. that to me, you know, and I and, and I, I think that, that that feeling of relinquishing control and it creating this this storm of colors and and and, and vibrancies like was really compelling to me. And it took us a while to like comb through a lot of his material to find the one, like the specific one that we're like, that's the one. Um, but it ended up being that one there. So I'm very happy with uh, how that all came out and very happy that it was available for license. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, oh, that, that, because uh, I, I thought something like that you would probably like have to have made, but you found like the perfect thing like that was already available. Yeah, we've, we have yet to, well, actually, that's not entirely true. Uh, the first record was uh, that that artwork was commissioned, but um, we, we have, we're always too of, afraid of letting an artist go and just make something from scratch that we haven't like seen mm-hmm. in completion. And, and then like, you know, we don't want to have someone spend the time to, to do all that. And then we, we see the final product and we're like, ah, it's cool, but it's not it, you know? So we've always gravitated more towards finding complete works that match what, um, what we have generally in mind. A lot of times too, it's just because we don't know what we want, but we know it when we see it. So that's kind of like been our approach lately, and uh, thank God there's there's enough art out there that there's things that somehow match what we're doing. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that that's that's awesome that you you can just sort of hone in on that. Um, 
and uh, as well like that 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 is available out there to that fits your exact needs because i know like, what are the chances <laughs> a lot of people have to sort of like go off of a vision and say hey this is go to an artist and say hey can you create this for me and then like it's up in the air whether it's going to turn out exactly how you want it or not so. yeah i feel like if we had a very specific idea of like this is what we want we want it to look like this if we get like if i could kind of sketch a, a like a crappy version of it on a piece of paper and hand it to someone like here make this but cool like then i wouldn't mind doing a cocktail napkin yeah exactly like then (laughs) then i'd be like okay that's cool like i will do we'll do a commission you know because we have a very specific idea in mind but we just we're we're not visually minded enough to to i think make that call and we usually like to just kind of see something that was made by someone who's got a much better eye for that stuff just right off the bat nice um, there's a lot of atonal themes throughout the album that help build tension between passages. Uh, what inspired you guys to delve into this on uncommon composition style and to like fill this album uh, that way? I, th- I think it's like I think it's like the the, the need for um, dynamics not only in um, in like audio form but also, emotional form like we'll we'll do something that's soft gentle and like very consonant um and sweet sounding but then when we the the record is so so like emotionally um um vast and in its in its uh highs and lows that when when we want to portray something that's just truly soul crushing then it's like well we'll we'll utilize technique compositional techniques that are less um constant and just go you know full atonal and 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 just um because there's so many like i mean what i find is like there's so many like really great like like atonal death metal bands you know like any any of the bands that cite like gorguts as like a primary influence i'm like these like these bands do something that's really cool and ferocious and just sounds so much more evil than your your typical kind of heavy doomy death metal whatever but it's it's just so much like they, they'll you know a band like gorguts as much as i love the um that band is like i have a hard time listening to a record like that front to back it's it's just exhausting but it's like why not just use components of that and and um do you sprinkle them in here and there for those moments where you need something that sounds completely like apocalyptic yeah, it kind of goes back to that, like, ebb and flow thing where, like, you do have these, like, lulls where it's very soft and soothing and sweet and there's, like, undertones and it's mostly acoustic and then there's, like, huge powerful areas and then there's, like, spaces in between where, like, that atonal, like, really just, like, grasps onto you and adds that tension, so it, it's neat, the dynamic range. It was a nice, um, it was a nice experiment that I think we, we were able to, to execute um well and without it be- being too out of left field which is always the 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 risk anytime we're doing anything that's um out of left field even for us like is trying to get things to sound still cohesive like we i think with this record this was the first record that we're like literally anything's fair game i mean like the, the amount of like um i mean like this is the first record where with synths are like a, a notable element of of the 
of the sound and you know in, instead of like previous records where Wayne and I would um, divvy up the the orchestration uh, tasks this one we said like well we're gonna make synths very prominent in this and um, that synths are, are, are my territory orchestrations are definitely like Wayne's territory like let's let's just totally go that direction where like Wayne you handle everything orchestra related I'll handle everything synth related and we'll we'll converse and, and talk through ideas about each because we both speak those languages but to be able to to utilize sounds that you know sound like they could be from a, a, a John Williams score directly next to something that could be off of a, like an Aphex twin album um, it's like okay that's a that's a very different mix there how do we make that not sound like hot garbage because it very easily <laughs> could just become this hod, hodgepodge of just anything you know and like as much as I love bands that are like sporadic and random then again falls into the category of like it's too much and it's exhausting and I have nothing to like to hold on to compositionally that makes sense so we we, we were constantly um, kind of a being everything. It's like anytime someone comes up with something very cool and interesting, different, we're like, great. Uh, is there any way to utilize that I that concept or sound elsewhere on the record record to make it cohesive? Um, or does it sound like this cool individual moment and not like something that just we threw in just because we liked it for that second, but makes no sense compositionally. That's a constant battle. Uh, that goes into something uh, sort of along that same concept. Uh, I think I hear some hammered dulcimer somewhere in the middle of Identifier. Um, I'm curious because I've already discussed the use of dulcimer and like other interesting instrumentation in Prague uh, with Alric from Talk. Uh, and I know that mm. Earthside used one uh, in their debut album. Uh, so what inspired its inclusion and maybe some other instruments in Epi uh, Epigone? Um, well, and actually, Almond Hammer from our Discord also had a similar question. He said, uh, when developing an album such as Veil or Sleep and maybe Epigone, um, how do you keep track of all the musical instruments and make the styles of each blend so seamlessly into metal motifs? I think like when it comes to things like like the hammer dulcimer um, or any of the the folk instruments, it's like we kind of treat that almost as like one unit. It's like that there's a there's a certain texture and and emotion that is evoked by all those instruments um, that kind of lives as one family. So we'll we'll, we'll say like all right, the the metal band is one family of instruments, the orchestra is one family, the synths are one family, and the folk instruments are another. And they all need to talk to each other in some way. Um, and I think utilizing the, the the folk instruments was was very important on this record because the first two records were very heavy on folk instruments. Um, and Veil, we didn't use any um at least not any any real ones there's a couple like samples of adult somewhere but we didn't bother um recording anything for that record because there was so little um this record we're like no we're, we're gonna you we're gonna utilize the mandolin we're gonna utilize the dulcimer the the resonator guitar the lap steel guitar like just basically anything we have at our disposal uh lap harp you know instruments that wayne has built himself and um, we wanted to bring back that kind of 
earthy texture to this to this whole record um, in a way that doesn't make it sound like folk metal because the the core compositions on this record are much less mm-hmm. folky than on previous records but we're like we don't also don't want to totally lose that vibe and that that atmosphere that um, that we've created so what if we just have those textures playing things that are a little bit out of left field for those instruments sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's a lot of experimentation and just seeing what's even physically possible on some of these instruments you know hammer dulcimer rings out forever i think a lot of like progressive metal um the the atmosphere that a lot of progressive metal um evokes for me personally is one of kind of like more spacey and like ethereal and uh um just kind of sci-fi whereas like that's that's not our vibe at all like anytime someone like throws something at us that's like you know planets in space you know we're always like a little hesitant on that it's like that's not we 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 are on on some form of earth you know whether fantasy or real earth but like i we we like trees we like landscapes you know like so the folk instruments help ground our sound to something familiar and i think that makes it at least for me easier to latch on emotionally to all right well that is pretty much all the questions that i have but we have one more question from uh one of our uh our patrons on the vip discord um so the the stock he says given the very different lyrical themes and universes you've explored so far uh he'd like to know what inspires you to pick a particular setting or theme for an album and what you'd like to explore lyrically in the future and this might be a question more for evan but you might be able to provide some context from from his working with the lyrics yeah I i think um all, all the records, um, l- like, lyrically sh- share themes w- within each record, and, and they're all kind of centered around whatever is kind of floating around Evan's head at the time. You know, there's the discography kind of serves almost as, like, a timeline of his, um, of what's occupying his mind at the time. So it's, it's, it's almost like going back to some of these records is interesting for me personally because you know I'll be I'll be listening to uh, like sleep at the edge of the earth for instance and I'll be like and I'll listen to the lyrics and I'll be like oh I I, I remember having conversations with Evan about just these things not in a musical context but just like as a, in a life context and and it's kind of interesting to see these timeline markers of like this was this era this was this era this was this era um so i think is uh, evan's always been one to kind of err on the side of like write what you know and it's like what he knows best is himself so whatever is going on in in his head whatever things he's ruminating on at the time tends to be what make their way onto the record that we're working on at the time awesome um so that that's pretty much what we have. I did find out what you're supposed to get each other for your 10 year anniversary. Um, and it's tin or aluminum. Tin or aluminum. So. <laughs> All right. Bunch of beer yeah. cans, I guess. All right. 
done. Yes. Oh, great. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, um, all of them should be at, like, at Wilderun Band or something similar. Uh, you can also go to our website, wilderun.com, which should link you to everything, including our U.S. and uh, European merch stores, um, and go pre-order Epigon on Century Media and see what kind of nonsense we're working on these days. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, man. And we would like to thank you so much for listening to this edition of Spotlight. If you enjoyed the episode or learned something new, please subscribe. If you'd like to hear more interviews and get more prog rock content, you can become a special Prognotes patron at patreon.com prognotes, where you can ask questions of some of your favorite artists like you heard in this episode. Also, come join our Discord community, a chat room for all prog rock fans and fans of the show. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. All of these links are in this episode's description. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. Destin and Drew will be back with another episode on the 15th. See you on the Discord. Thank you.